Hello, and welcome to our new Heritage Project. My name is Ketiwe Mbongwa, and I'm the founder, lead formulator, and creative director of Black Joy Theory, or BJT for short. Our new heritage is a social movement rooted in healing, a care space for remembrance to unfold our complex trauma, and an avenue for us to shine the spotlight on politicized healing, healing justice, community care, and collective trauma. My dream is that over the next few weeks, the discussions that take place will be the beginning of the recovery of indigenous forms of healing and the creation of altars for remembrance, dismantling, creating, and connecting. Our new heritage is a love letter to black, brown, queer, trans, LGBTQ+, disabled, neurodivergent, and indigenous people. Thank you for joining me, and welcome joy, welcome wellness, welcome home. Hello, everyone. I am so glad to have you here um, on the second episode of our new Heritage Project. Today, I have a very special guest, um, Dumi Moloto, and I'm just going to read their short intro. Um, Dumi is a non-binary, queer, partly human being who is most centrally a lover of this earth and all who call it home. They do the work that inspires them and the work that their ancestors have tasked them with doing. They are a somatic-based sex and relationship coach with an otherworldly love of pleasure. They are also a budding astro-herbalist and are the medicine makers at the Four Seasons Apocryphy. They are a psilocybin mushroom and fungi enthusiast, as well as a guide for those embarking on their mushroom journeys. Finally, they are, they are an initiate and ancestor in waiting, and one of their central questions in this lifetime is, how do we become human, and how do we find ways to live in right relation? Okay. Hello, Jimmy. <laughs> how are you doing? Ah, I'm well. I'm a bit anxious, uh, a bit nervous, a bit excited. Yes. I always say that like nervousness and excitement live in the same place in my body. Yes. They just are like, we're cohabiting here. So Definitely. I'm nervous, dash, excited, and curious about what this, you know, conversation will hold. I also am all those things. <laughs> excited, <laughs> nervous, anxious, um, mm. and also just very much I don't know floating right now um mm. trying to find the words and trying to land um I'm yeah. so I'm so excited to have you here I'm so excited to ask you questions and pick your brain and um I think the first question I would love to know is how how have you ventured into becoming more human what does it mean to you um where did it start and um, how does that occupy your time and how you started to um, pull together the Four Seasons Apocryphy? Mm, yeah, so love this question. This is such a fun one for me. Mm -hmm. um, it started at birth or before birth or many lifetimes ago. Mm -hmm. Who knows? <laughs> but when the when it really, when I really stepped into this path mm -hmm. of like, what is my humanity and how mm. am I human? Mm. Uh, I was about two years ago and I had just 
been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and hospitalized for suicidal ideation. And I was studying in the United States at the time. So I was like far removed from my family and I was really isolated. And it was this very traumatic experience. And I had that experience, graduated shortly after, came back home, and then we entered a global pandemic. And I was just like, ah, what on earth is happening here? And, um, yeah, it was, it was a hectic time. And basically I, um, I decided not to go on the medication that I was being told that, you know, I would have to be on for the rest of my life. Like I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. So they were like, you're going to be on this medication forever. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of don't want to be. (laughs) And I kind of want to explore what I, I just had the sense that there was something else that was happening for me, like that it was beyond the biochemical brain model explanation that I was receiving around like my brain chemistry just being slightly off kilter. And so I entered this process of just being with myself, like being with my trauma in such a deep way, being with my suffering, being with my pain, being with my ancestors and my ancestral trauma, just like being with the fullness of my humanity. And then that question just came up, I realized like, what, what does it mean for me to be human? And it really was this moment of like crisis as breakthrough to find a new way of being. And I just was left with, well, what does it mean for me to be human? You know, and I think that's one of my central contributions to the world. And just in this lifetime, I'm really interested in this, like, what are, what are the things that make us human and how do we return to that humanity in a time where we've moved so far from that humanity? And so for me, Four Seasons is an expression of the, what does it mean to be human question? But it's an exploration of it is human or for me to be human is to be in right relation to the world around us and to the more than human world. Like to be human is about having relationships with everything that is alive here on earth. And so the apothecary is really my space to just explore that and to explore what it means to live in right relation to these plant medicines that I'm working with and to introduce other people to these plant medicines and to a way of living in the world. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, I, I resonate with that a lot. One of my biggest catalysts of healing and changing and um, coming into myself was definitely surviving academia. And Uh. um, I didn't know it at the time. And I was, but I was really, really sick and I was depressed and I had, I was Mm. directionless. And Mm. um, I think reflecting back on the time, I can realize that it was obviously surviving the traumas that come with academia and surviving in, incredibly white structures and violent structures. And, um, but it was also, I don't like to glorify pain and it wasn't the pain that led me to where I am now, but there, it Mm. was the trauma that it brought, brought up the questions that I brought up. Um, I wish that I had been supported and I wish that I hadn't been in pain. And Mm. I wish that for everyone who's gone through that process, I don't, I I no longer glorify pain. I no longer justify pain. Um, but I rather really acknowledge the trauma behind it. And um, yeah. I like to bear witness to the wisdom that trauma can give you, um, um, but without celebrating pain. 
So it's it's kind mm. of a hard balance, and I'm kind of like still in the process of trying to define what it means to not celebrate pain, but try and make it useful if it's there. Mm. But um, I just wanna you just go straight in with the segue to <laughs> what what do you think needs to be healed, dismantled, and created? Hmm. So I was, I was thinking about this question when I was, you know, going through the question list. And I suppose for me, all of my work centers around connection and disconnection mm. then because it centers around connection. Mm. So part of this, like, what does it mean to be human? Oh, to be human is to be in connection. What has prevented us from being in connection? That's like where I get excited and I'm like, oh, what is disconnecting us? And so at like a big, big level, you know, like at a systems level, I can point to white body supremacy and capitalism. But at a, at a smaller or not even at a smaller level, but when it comes down to like, I think I'm very much, uh, I want to target or work with people's ideas and belief systems that allow these systems to thrive in the world and to be maintained. And so for me, there's this fundamental belief and it, it's not a cognitive belief. It's like a body held belief that humans seem to have right now, which is that we are somehow disconnected from the world that we live in, um, that we are apart from the earth, that we are not of the earth. That we are apart from each other, like that you and I are not one and the same and our humanity is not intricately entwined <laughs> with the humanity of the other. And so it's that false belief of disconnection that I'm really like, let's work on that. Let's see all of the ways that it shows up, right? Like what are all the ways? Because for me, and I'm always looking at this in my life, it shows up in so many ways. Um, and it's just like, oh, wow. And it touches the ecological crisis and it touches capitalism and it touches white body supremacy and it touches inequality and it touches all these different things. And so, yeah, I'm really interested in that. Like, how do we heal disconnection uh, and the false belief, you know, of disconnection? I love that. I, I love that so much. And um, yeah, um, I I know that you had said that you were so excited to be in the same week as a fellow Gogo and be, yes. you know, having conversations <laughs> around the same time. And it's, it's just so, it's such a revelation for me because during that conversation, she also brought up the fact that there is this disconnectedness and there's this need for participation. Um, and that was a central theme. <laughs> and from there, yeah. we built up on the conversation. So I think it's really, <sighs> Yeah, I, I think it's amazing that that is that is the answer to I think a lot of our problems. This belief, and oh. I think she also called it this. She she rooted a lot of the problems in capitalism and this need for um, hyper individualism. And yeah. um, I think that also this commodity working in wellness and working in beauty, air quotes beauty. Um, mm -hmm. There is this self-care, self-care, self-care movement. And I think that self-care is also the way that we practice it is deeply rooted in capitalism. And I think that mm. it's incredibly unhelpful with dealing with a lot of the issues that we're facing, especially now in this COVID world. We need to connect. Mm. We need yeah. to seek solace in one another. We need to seek healing in the collective. Um, yeah. And it's it's incredibly difficult. 
I'm still finding yeah. ways to manage it. I deal a lot with a lot of loneliness and feelings of disconnection. Um, mm. But I know that that is what we need. That is what all of us are seeking. And yeah. that's the way that we move forward. So for me, I totally agree with you. The central, the central key in our healing is connection. Yeah. Definitely connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even with that, as you're saying, just to point out, like, I think it's both, you know, like self and collective care, which mm. is something that I say over at the apothecary, like building rituals of self and collective care. I love because that. Because we need to be in a space in of self. nourishment inside of our bodies first and then reach out to one another and say, like, how can we share that settledness so that we're not, when we're, <laughs> like, um, I always think of, like, uh, uh, you can gather a group of bodies that are unsettled in their nervous systems, and you'll have, like, mm-hmm. a mob. And then you can gather a group of <laughs> bodies that are settled <laughs> in their nervous systems, and you have this amazing potential and space for healing. And yes. so it needs to start here and then move into that connection. Absolutely. But both are so important. I think I love that you can say you can collect a group. Of, what is it? You can settle a group of people whose nervous systems are not settled. Exactly. And, that and is a mob. you can get a mob. <laughs> and I think that's really poignant for what we saw when we had those riots. I think and I, I, it was, I felt it so deeply that there was this discontentment, but also this disconnect and a group mm. of disconnected individuals came together, mm. catalyzed their rage and enacted it. And Absolutely. I, it was, it was so sad to watch. I didn't have anger. I didn't, mm. I wasn't seeing blame. I was seeing a lot of pain and it was yeah. incredibly difficult to watch. And I think that's mm. also what catalyzed this for me. I needed yeah. to create a space to bring individuals together. And I wanted to ask questions like, how do we make sure that this like not only never happens, but how do we make sure that people don't get to this point? What mm. needs to change? Why is this exactly. happening? Exactly. You know, these people don't need, I must be controversial, but these people don't oh. need, <laughs> these people don't need prison. They need therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, they need trauma counseling. It's so sad that that's controversial. It's like, what? <laughs> like, oh, I'm, and it's wild because, I mean, I just recently came across a Polish, a, a how do you say it again? Abolition. Yeah. Abolitionism. Yeah. Abolitionism. Yes. I recently just came across it. And actually, it's the first time that I'd ever seen your work. It was Mm. during Black Lives Matter, and you were speaking about abolition. And Mm. um, I had never really understood the concept, and I didn't Mm. see how it could actually fit in our society with so much crime. But. More deeply, I started to do trauma work, and the more deeply I started to, you know, study um, how far back trauma goes and how it replicates the way it does, especially on this continent, especially in yeah. this country. Oh. I've seen that. Here it is, the first two. Here it is, man. <laughs> I thought I would be first. <laughs> And um, I started to see how deeply traumatized we are, deeply, deeply traumatized. Mm. And yeah, you, I remember having this conversation with my father, and um, I was talking about how 
you can be traumatized and simultaneously be someone who's enacting violence or you can Absolutely. be someone who's a victim in that setting. But you're both traumatized individuals. And I think that's yeah. very important for the setting in South Africa. Um, but um, yeah, I want to move on to the next question. And I think yeah. it ties in like how are the issues that are plaguing our society manifesting within our society? But I think more importantly, how are they manifesting in the body? How are they manifesting mm. in the black body? Um, how are they manifesting in, let me just say the non-white body. How are they manifesting? How do they come about? Yeah. I definitely think it's such a big question. You know, like there are like 101 ways um, to take it. I guess I'm trying to find like something that I want to root into. Mm -hmm. Because there's... Let's start with trauma. Let's root with trauma, right? <laughs> um, that like trauma is this thing that is created within all of us because of some pain that we've experienced. And it's also our body's way of trying to protect us from that pain happening again. And especially when we're speaking about non-white bodies, right? Like there is such pain that's being carried around racialized trauma. I think this is, this is one of the things that's really important to me in this life, um, is working around racialized trauma. But working around those wounds that we do carry in very, very real ways. Um, and I know for myself, because I just like to personalize things. So I'm like, what is the, what is something for my life that I've been working on? Um, I think one thing that I've been affirming within myself lately, this might, you know, um, have resonance is like that I am not defective. I think that's such a big wordless story that like many black bodies and non-white bodies hold, right? Like I'm defective in some way. It really any bodies that have occupied the position of the marginal have been like placed in the edges. Anybody that has been placed in the edges, whether that's a queer body and a trans body, you know, there's so much around I'm defective. Um, and I am working constantly on like allowing myself at a body level just to see that belief and see that pain inside of me and also say, hmm, how can I find safety and resource in my body in order to metabolize some of that trauma in order to metabolize some of that pain and, you know, let go of um, bits of it while reminding myself that there's nothing wrong with me. And I think that is something that comes up in my work a lot. I love to contextualize systems, even when I'm working with people on something that seems unrelated like sex, because all of these things do have very real impacts in our lives, whether it's our gender socialization, whether it's how we've been racialized and the messages that we've internalized because of these systems, you know, it's very real. But I think the core from many of us and for myself is like a lot of shame and a lot of like, I am not worthy. I'm not good enough. A lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of like, you know, all the fun things that we deal with on a daily basis all of the like, yeah, I'm not capable. But for me, it's those root beliefs of like, I'm not capable. I'm not enough. Um, there's something wrong with me. And there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your body. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with the way that you are manifesting in this world. But we live in a world that isn't supportive of our full manifestations for now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like um, what's ringing in my head right now is the body is not an apology. Mm. and. Um, I have, I've also been doing a lot of work around releasing shame and um, mm. 
back to what she said in the beginning where you spoke about how you personalize everything. I don't think, I don't, if you do not personalize a concept or a situation or a feeling, is it, is it real? Does it apply? Mm. Like, is it, because <laughs> I don't, I, I, maybe it's just the way that I process the world, but if I don't personalize something, then I, I struggle to really start to understand it. And, mm. um, I, I don't know, like, maybe it's a, the point in which my, the way in which my empathy, um, shows itself. But, um, mm. another thing that is really important for me in what you said is, um, the ways in which there's a lot of shame around having a non-white body, um, and the ways in which yeah. it shows up, especially, um, I think it's, deeply rooted in not really having a place in this world and also feeling like we we live in very separate worlds um even amongst black people people of color we live in such separate worlds and um it's so hard to try and bring those worlds together and it's so hard to unify or rather, like, start to bring our whole identities together, even on an individual level, when there is just so much noise from outside telling you that you should be this way, you should be that way, and um, demonized for expression. I think mm. a lot of a lot of black people, a lot of people of color, are demonized for being expressive and not really um flowing along the central lines of what it means to be black so if you're mm. black and you're south african you have to be christian you yes. have to be straight you have and to be cis, cis. <laughs> you have to be cis <laughs> yeah. never forget that okay? never I mean, forget <laughs> I, I think as a black community we've come a long way in terms of um our relationship with um lgbt folks yeah. <laughs> kind of. But when it comes mm. to gender normativity, uh that we we've we are nowhere near I think a lot of black people are nowhere near ready to have that discussion and nowhere near comfortable to start to understand what it means. Mm. What do you mean? Yes, no, please. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say, um, I know one of the things that you're thinking about in this project is like decolonization. And for me, that, that is a huge part of the decolonial Mm. project. Like Mm. it is the decolonial project. It, it's really like, it's so sad for me that as a community, we have in the past, really since colonization, you know, embodied this demonization of queer bodies, even though we know that that isn't who we are. We know that that isn't our history. We know that we have honored all expressions of people's bodies being bodies. Mm. We also know that when we look at languages, like my family's pedi, and I look mm. at the fact that there are no gendered pronouns in the language, yeah. you know, there are no yeah. gender pronouns. There's, there's no, there's a word for like wife and husband, but there's no individual separate word for man and woman, you know? So we have to look at the fact that we are coming from people who for the vast majority of our ancestry have been, I don't even like imposing the labels of queer and trans into the past because 
they existed at a time where there wasn't even language around gender. We didn't need the language of cisness and transness and queerness because there just was acceptance of people's embodiment. And I definitely think it's a remembering, mm-hmm. you know, that's needing to happen of mm-hmm. where we come from, of how decolonization has t- or mm-hmm. decolonization of how colonization has removed us from that. And then, you know, have the conversation around like, how do we, ooh, feel into that trauma because it's a trauma that's been created in all of us and that we're just enacting on one another. And then how do we heal that? Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful segue into my next question. Do you think that collective forgetfulness upholds epistemic injustice and can it ever be useful to forget? Forgetting is so interesting for me. Um, Mm. And I also, I so hesitate to speak in very definite yes and no's. Like, yes, it can be, or no, it can't be. I'm always like, I don't know, me, who knows? It depends on the day, babe. (laughs) Depends on the day, man. No, really. (laughs) Um, But I do think, I think forgetting is often a trauma response. You know, like I think forgetting is a way that we can soothe our nervous systems and our bodies to feel what fine and safe and settled with what we're seeing around us, you know, like if we just forget. And I think that's why there's often this invocation of like, forget, just like, like, forget, we're in, we're like, forget the past, move on from the past, forgive, blah, 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 blah. I also don't think we ever forget, like even just, I want to take this to a body level. The fact that we carry- The body keeps the school. Exactly. And the fact that we carry information in our nervous systems from generations and generations and generations of ancestors makes me think that the body doesn't ever forget. <laughs> Even if the mind can cognitively wrap its mind, like its way around forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm choosing to answer the last part of the question, which is like, is forgetting useful or can we forget? Do we get to? <laughs> um, and I think I think if, 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 if we ever get to a point, like, it would be interesting to me if, if as a world we ever got to a point where we forgot racism or we forgot colonization or we forgot, I don't think we'll ever forget. I don't think we ever, I don't, I don't know. I think there's always a part of the body, the memory, the mind, the nervous system that will mm-hmm. hold on, you know, but it's about learning to soothe that. I think. I have always been interested in psychedelics and your work with psilocybin is interesting to me, especially in reference to remembrance. I have, I have traumatic brain. I have traumatic, I had a traumatic head injury and Mm. I don't really, I don't know if I even remembered Mm. my childhood, but I'm having Mm. trouble with remembering it now. And it's very, very foggy. So mm. the issue around forgetfulness and remembrance and trauma is something that's deeply, deeply traumatic for me. I, I hold mm. it very dearly. Yeah. So how, how can the, my first question, it's, it's layered. How can, yeah. how, how, how has your work um, with psilocybin showed you the ways in which we can't, we, we don't just release our traumas, but actually start to do the work of remembering. Mm. And then the second question is Ooh. how do we keep how do we keep our people well, <laughs> well and centered as we start to move towards working um, for a new society? Mm, yeah. So 
It's so interesting, this question around like psilocybin and remembering. Where I see, and I, me, emotional about psilocybin, of course, (laughs) I see this huge potential for psilocybin. I've always wondered, like, why, why does this, I've just been in awe of the absolute healing potential that these beings have. But I've also always been like, why, why, why? Like, I, I, I want to understand how that works. And some of the answers or one answer that I've come to, uh, one of the many different possibilities for why it is so powerful is that what psilocybin mushrooms seem to do is like connect you to another part of your consciousness that feels safe and nourished and held, whether it's by the divine or your ancestors or, but there's a part of you that feels safe enough to go into the trauma. And that for me is fascinating. Like we do this in other ways in non-psilocybin therapies, right? Like how do we get people to a place of enough resource and safety in their body so that they can touch into their trauma just little bit by little bit. But it's like what psilocybin mushrooms do is they hold you so that you're safe enough to like remember things. So I've had memories of even like past live traumas, which has been for me really fascinating. But I've like had, I'm thinking this one journey is just coming to mind where I literally experienced, it was so painful, but I experienced like the death of my entire community. Like it was so overwhelming. It was so intense. And I just like, sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. I wailed. Like I was really like, just like there was a part of my throat that was unlocking and just the noise was coming out. And it was such a profound experience for me, but it also, it was like this pain point that I didn't even know was there. That's what was wild with this, you know, thing of remembering. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that pain point was there. And also when I touched into it, I saw how it impacts me. Like, and I saw that pain and where it lives inside of my body. And then I also was able to like release it. And it was just (laughs) unbelievably profound. And so I do think for people who, you know, like I also have, there are some memories in my childhood that are definitely, I have repressed because of trauma. Um, Mm. And psilocybin has helped me just to like, point into those and say like what is there what pain and for me because i also hear you on the like not glorifying pain for Mm. me it's it's not it's it's about saying like this is inside of you this is you now Mm. you know like this is in you can you touch the pain that was created inside of you not the Mm. incident not relive the thing that happened can Mm. you just touch what happened Mm. inside of you you know and that for me is like where the healing happened I'm sorry to be touching my thing. Um, but yeah. And then the second question um, was, I would you repeat it for me? It was like, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we keep our people, ourselves included? How do we keep our people well as we mm. work towards a new society? Mm. So but before I you answer, yes, I, I just, yeah. <laughs> I, that was really, that was deeply emotional for me to mm. hear that you'd gone to a place where you'd lost your your entire community. Yeah. Uh, I think that resonates. You don't even have to go far to find no. that experience continuously yeah. happening, especially yeah. now. Like it is happening yeah. right now all the yeah. time. And yeah, I, I, it's just, I think collectively there is so much grief. Yeah. And mm. I would love for you to 
answer the next question centering grief. Yeah. Because that is really the key. It's what mm. I'm struggling with. So I'm sure you're struggling with. It's what yeah. many of us are struggling with. And the ways in which we can learn from ancestral um, wisdom and ancestral trauma mm. and even, you know, African spirituality or however we want to approach it, the mm. wisdom of those who've come before us. How, how do we manage this grief? Yeah. So for me, I have like a, what is it? Is it a two-step? I'm like, is this a two-step process or a three-step process? (laughs) First step, feel safety in your body. Like that is the Mm. biggest thing for me. I used to think that I could just do all the like hard work and not be resourced in my body. And then I would just feel like really burned out and it would be a lot to experience. And so the first thing in terms of keeping ourselves well is first, we all have to come to a space of settling our nervous systems. Like, and that can be so simple. I feel my nervous system's getting a bit shaky now, but that can be so simple. It's like, I have this practice that I do every morning and I recommend this for every single, I recommend this for everyone. It's amazing. It's called grounding, orienting and humming. It's the go method. So it's easy to remember. And so you ground, you remember, you, you know, you step into your connection to the land, to your ancestors, to whatever makes you feel really grounded and held, like that you are part of this earth, you are part of the cycle of life giving life and just ground into that. And then orient, like look around the room, look at the edges, look at the corners, like become aware of yourself in the space. So in grounding, you're becoming aware of yourself in your body in orienting. You're becoming aware of yourself in the space and then you hum. Humming is actually like an amazing way to settle the nervous system. I hum every single day. Um, and you can, and it's just like having that awareness. You can put your hands on your belly, breathing into your belly and just humming. And it actually calms the nervous system. It has, it has such a beneficial impact on the vagus nerve and on allowing us to become centered and calm inside of our bodies. And so having some practice, I think for people to ground, orient the world around them, settle in their nervous systems is so vital. And once you have that, not before you have that, touch the pain. That's like my favorite thing to say. I'm like, touch the wound, my friends. We have to go in there and we have to touch it. This is the thing that's been most profound for me in my healing because I had so much trauma. Like when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I had ancestral trauma that was coming up that wanted to be seen. I had sexual trauma that was coming up that wanted to be seen. I had abandonment and early childhood trauma that was coming up and wanting to be seen. I had racialized trauma that was coming up and wanting to be seen. Like there was so much and it felt overwhelming. But the thing that helped me to actually let go of that and build more room and spaciousness in my nervous system was like touching into it. But once again, not touching into it just like today, I'm just going to relive all my trauma, <laughs> but coming into a space of safety in my body, whether that's through connecting to a person that makes me feel safe, like a friend or an animal, like my dog, you know, and then touching in, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it sounds really scary, but it's also, I think it's important to know that we're touching in, not reliving traumatic events, I'm not a fan of reliving traumatic events. Like that's not what I'm telling people to do. It's look into what was created within you, what lives in you now, what has become part of you. You're not touching something that is not you. You're touching your body's response to the trauma that you have experienced. Like touch that. 
And, um, and I think that's what we have to start doing because there's so much trauma that's coming up right now in the world to be healed. There's so much ancestral trauma. There's so much racialized. There's just, there's every human trauma is coming to the surface. And from my work, the only way, and from my life and my experiences, the only way that I know to move through trauma and find something different on the other side is to feel into it, to metabolize it, to let it go. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's going to be deeply helpful for a lot of people because that was a question that led me to therapy. I had Mm. been doing a lot of the trauma work alone. Mm. And the first thing I said to my therapist is the reason why I'm here is that I'm tired. Mm. Yeah. I'm so tired. And I cried during the first session before we even got into anything because I was like, I'm so relieved to be here. I'm so Mm. relieved to finally find the tools because I know the answers that I need to release and to address, but I have no idea how. And I know that if I continue any further by myself, I'm going to do more damage. Like you said, you have to find a place where you can be safe. And I know that is also a real luxury for a lot of people. Exactly. a quiet space to feel safe. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say that it's as simple as being alone, being <laughs> safe. Safety, yeah. unfortunately, so sadly, is a privilege. Absolutely. It's a major, major privilege for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's not enough to say that you come from a home where you're not being beaten or you're not being, you have food every day. Yeah. You may still be very in a very unsafe environment. Exactly. When your needs aren't being met. You're yeah. being emotionally abused or you're being gaslit or there is, there are too much, there are too many expectations on your shoulders. Mm. That is not a safe environment. So exactly. I, I also want to speak on how do you, I know that she says you must touch the pain. Yeah. How do you (laughs) touch the pain and then how do you let go and then carry on with the day? I think a lot of people are afraid to touch the day because, I mean, rather touch the pain because they would not be able to move on with the day. I think one of the things is that like when you begin this practice of touching into, you don't want to start with like the big guns. You know, you don't want to start with like, I'm just going to touch into a little bit of my really intense childhood trauma and then continue with my day. It's like, that's probably going to be a lot for your nervous system. So what would be a something that is painful, right? Like maybe an interaction with a friend or something that's uncomfortable for your nervous system, right? But isn't going to re-traumatize you or upset your nervous system in a really profound way. And then for me, I also want to say that my, the safety that I tap into is ancestral. Like the thing that makes me feel most safe and most nourished in my body is that I, I come from this line of ancestors that are holding me every moment, right? Like they are holding me. Ah, they are all standing behind me and they're all supporting me and they're all wanting for my healing, you know? And so that safety is like this profound and godlike safety because it's this real embodied sense of like, wow, and I'm here for a reason and I'm going to be supported in living out that reason and living out that truth. And so safety, but other people's safe resources are going to be like, I'm imagining myself with my best friend or I'm imagining myself like with my dog, like just putting your body into a space of whether you're not actually in that space or whether you are in that space, but just saying, I would like to feel safe here. 
and um and then going into something that's just a bit painful but not a lot like i fought with my friend being present with the sensation mm -hmm. for 30 seconds like i'm not talking long periods of time just so that you can have that experience of being in the tough thing and then go back and resource yourself with the safety again ah and i'm with my ancestors and they love me ah you know i'm I'm on the earth and I'm grounded and this earth has held every ancestor that has ever given me life and holds me too, you know, like just connecting to that and never forgetting to connect to the good thing. Like once you've gone into the heavy thing and through doing that, but doing it pretty regularly, you start to build room in your nervous system. You know, you don't want to, if with your nervous system, if you're here and then you try to get here, it's just going to hurt. <laughs> you want to just mm. slowly build capacity, build room. It's so small. Resilience. It's even, exactly. Resilience. It's like millimeter by millimeter, not even inch by inch. And then eventually you can lead into the, the big thing. And oh, sometimes that. you need a plant medicine like psilocybin to help you need into the big thing because Half of the things that I've experienced on psilocybin, I wouldn't be able to do in this state of consciousness. It would be too overwhelming for my nervous system. I do want to say that I have a guide on the Apothecary's website. It's a free guide, but it's essentially walks you through how to go through a psilocybin journey in a way that is intentional in a way. And it also, it also guides you through, um, like if you have a friend that you want to be your guide, it, there's a yes. whole section there that lets them know how they should hold space for you. Because I do think it's important to note, like, note, not everyone can hire a psilocybin guide. It's very expensive, no. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And I started my journeying with the medicine alone and just learning through oh. that experience. And so mm -hmm. I never want to scare people from doing that, but I also have created resources like the guide so that people can have as much information to ensure that they have journeys that are peaceful and easeful and healing. And I know a lot of people who have used the guide and have had those journeys without someone there with them. So I just want to name that that is a possibility for folks. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Please do hit up the Four Seasons Apothecary website and get that guide. Yeah. If um, you want to go on that um, psilocybin journey. Yeah. And um, the next question is, what advice would you give for those who are lonely in their healing? Hmm. Uh, with this question, do you mean like lonely in that they want to form community or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Form community. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> um, I really think there's something powerful. I did this at the beginning of the year. I set the intention that I, I wanted to do this work that I'm doing in community with people like, it's going to be a lot to do by myself. And I want to be in community with people that are thinking similarly, that are, you know, like wanting to do this work. I lost a ton of friends in that process. Like I lost so many friends. <laughs> Sometimes you'll say things in the universe is like, okay. Okay. Yeah, but sometimes there are people in your life, and and I don't mean like it's not um by any fault of their own. There are dynamics that are created in friendships that don't serve you, you know. And sometimes you get to a point where you're like, oh, this dynamic isn't actually serving us anymore. And so I had a ton of dynamics where 
I was just showing up as like the the savior and oh the therapist friend and la 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 la. Mm. This is my favorite one. Mm. I'm like, you know who you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> So not a call out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I feel like there are so many of us who have this like, you know, therapist friend, mom friend, I can do anything to help and support you friend thing. Uh, and a strong just, friend. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm like, I didn't do that anymore. So I lost a lot of the friendships where that was the dynamic, you know, but mm-hmm. the kinds of relationships that have come into my life are so nourishing and so supportive. And so I feel like for people, what I've learned for myself, because I never like to be like, this is what you should do, because I don't really know, (laughs) you know, but for me, what's worked is setting the intention, really looking at the relationships that I have. And if they are serving my highest good, my highest potential, Mm -hmm. my path, Mm -hmm. my journey, you know, and that doesn't mean I have to be like, you're a bad person now. It's just, we might Mm -hmm. not be here anymore. We might be here. Oh yeah, no. Resentments and grudges. Those yeah, are for the birds. <laughs> that serves nobody. It's incredibly harmful for the person carrying that. Mm-hmm. I don't begrudge anyone that I've lost in my life. I don't begrudge anyone, no matter the circumstance under in which under mm-hmm. which we, you know, separated and left each other's lives. Mm-hmm. I do not hate them. I do not want to carry that. Um, yeah, I don't want them to carry that either. Yeah. So, um, I think we need to give each other permission and grace to just let go and leave and not hold grudges and just absolutely. And I think back to what you were saying about not wanting to be prescriptive and telling people what to do. Mm. I 100% believe in that. That's why I think creating spaces like this and sharing experiences is a lot more helpful. Oh, exactly. Just telling people. You should do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and this is just an example. I'm Mm. not bashing the 12 step program, but like, it's not very, helpful for a lot of people Hmm. we need to hear experiences we need to hear that we're not alone one of the most vital parts of my healing process have been community and hearing people speak yeah about where they are exactly i I speak to some of my friends and i'm like this and this is happening to me Hmm. i think that i finally come unhinged like (laughs) i that there's something terribly wrong. Let's with me. go. And then I'm like, oh yeah, this is happening to me too. I thought that this was I thought that I had finally had that breakdown. Yeah. And I was it it was it's just so beneficial to speak to community and Absolutely. if you're able to, if you have the resources to speak to a therapist who is really doing the type of healing that you need. Yeah. But in lieu of that Build community. Build community. And I think it's it's yeah. easier said than done. Absolutely. Because I I also manifested community this year. Mm. And what I got was this project. Mm. And it's been incredibly difficult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hearing. Yeah. But, but this is what I've been given. And yeah. I'm so incredibly thankful. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think the last couple of questions I'd like to ask you. Yeah. Um is how have the demonization and erasure of our practices, herbs, and medicines contributed to our healing trauma? So Mm. when I envisioned this question, it was around what is healing trauma? Why are some people afraid to heal? Mm. And what are some of the experiences that have made them afraid to heal? And maybe seek 
African spirituality as an avenue or ancestral medicine, traditional mm. medicine as an avenue. Mm. Yeah. I think, well, one thing I know or one thing that I believe <laughs> is that we're dealing with a lot of, tra- like one of the ancestral traumas that's coming up is this demonization from ourselves many times and, you know, of our own practices and demonization, obviously, that came through colonization um, and having to reconnect to that. And it's really interesting. I'm just thinking about my different lineages because often, like I'm biracial, so I'm working with different ancestral lineages. And yet I find that across lineages, and even when I speak to people that are from different parts of the world and have different lineages than I do, there's this big theme that's coming up around remembering and returning and going back to fetch whatever it is that we have lost. And for some of us, that going back is going back a generation or two, right? Like I can look to my grandfather and my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather. But on my mom's side, with my maternal lineages, I'm looking back thousands of years. (laughs) You know, like I'm really looking, I'm working my way back. And so I do think, but I think just to situate here, I think a lot of people, something that I hear people say to me often is like, there's this fear around reconnecting to their ancestral practices. Um, and like, and especially I think with Christianization and colonization, the way those two have interacted, people are like, oh, this is bad and this is evil and this is, you know, but I also feel this great hopefulness that people are returning to, to those practices yes. with curiosity and with openness. And, I think there was maybe a greater trauma that our parents' generation faced in this disconnection. And our generation is almost then saying, like, let's bridge where so many people abandoned. Let's go back. Because I I see that at least in in my family. I see that it was my dad's generation that kind of let go of these practices. But my grandfather and my grandmother and beyond that held on to these practices. And so... There's a lot of trauma there. It's um, coming back to us. But it's coming back to they us. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a common thing. Yeah. I can go back in my lineage and see the same thing. I come from a long line of healers and herbalists. Yeah. Um, and people who practice. Mm. And then it was lost. It was like a... Yeah, there was a loss. And then our parents did not have the luxury. Or at least my parents did not have the luxury of... Um, and the safety to be able to delve in into their ancestral um, work, yeah, and also to even heed the call. Let me say, yes, they were <laughs> they were in exiles, yeah. and they were trying, literally trying to survive, yeah. So it skipped a generation, or meant more than that, skipped maybe two, three generations in some cases and then for sure. Came back and. <sighs> Here we are. And here we are. <laughs> All of us are like, hi guys. Hi. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's, it's been a trip. It's really, really been a trip. I think even in my own family, there was a lot of fear around, you know, Gutsasa and um, mm-hmm. being a Sangoma. And I'm not a Sangoma. Um, I've never been in initiation. Mm. I don't think, yeah, that's a, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you have to be like, let me just, let me just, I'm not going to say anything more than that. <laughs> I forgot. This is being recorded. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
the next question is how do we start to decolonize healthcare? Mm. And I think this is going to be my final question. Mm. Yeah. This is just as I was reflecting on this question, I was like, I don't know if this is um this is one of those questions where I could answer from like a intellectual and heady place on like how I think we should, you know? Um, and mm. as I was reflecting on this question, I was like, I think I feel like I can't, it's harder for me to answer this question in, in an embodied way because I don't really feel like I'm in healthcare, which is, you know, interesting. Like I, 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 and I'm like, then what am I in? I don't really know yet. <laughs> um, That's a better question. Maybe what are you what in? Am I in? That's the thing. I, I think what I was, so when I was working through this, I was like, for some, I have this association of healthcare as clinical, you know, and I know that Sterile. it's not exactly, but I have this association yeah. where when I hear healthcare, I think about hospitals I think about doctors' offices, and even I think about um, like going to a sangoma, having a consultation, but with a very with a big focus on like, okay, and then these are the different treatments that I will be prescribing, and these are the different things that you know I will offer to you. Um, and I suppose, am I in healthcare? Am I in wellness? Am I in just like whole care? Maybe that's my thing. I am in whole care. <laughs> care like uh, my my case is you know how do we heal the whole being um and i don't know why i just it's like i don't like the word health i'm like Bleh. but um but i do think to answer it from at least a more heady place i mean there's so much and that's the thing right like i think a big part of decolonization of healthcare in south africa will look like going to more traditional healers having traditional healers play a greater role in society. Um, I definitely think the way when I look at healthcare, and maybe that's another part of it, like I look at the options that are available to people and they so often suck, you know, like healthcare at this moment and mostly like Western healthcare is doing people a great disservice and that it's, it's not using, I think that illness is very often, and I don't want to say always, but in my experience illness has been a way of my body manifesting that like something needs to come to your attention something is asking to be healed something's coming up and there's more to it than just take this pill and everything will be okay and for me what pisses me off with the the you know like western healthcare is that people are being denied the opportunities that their bodies are giving them to show up for them to mm. to to mm. come into deeper relationship like i think that's in my body, illness has manifested many times as an opportunity for me to come into better relationship with my body. And people aren't getting that opportunity, ah, yes. right? It's really frustrating. Yes. <laughs> and so I think it's incredibly frustrating. So frustrating. And so I think when we move towards decolonized healthcare, there will be a focus on the whole human because I think it's there, the, there will be a focus on the wellness of the human, but also the wellness of the ecosystem. Oh, that's something that annoys mm. me with like Western healthcare. Mm. How can you look at an individual and you pathologize this individual and you say they're depressed and they're anxious and they have bipolar and they're sick in this way and they have chronic this 
And you don't look at the society and you don't look at capitalism and you don't look at white body supremacy and you don't look at literally the chaos, the ecological crisis that we are living through. And then you're just like, take this medication and it'll be fine. Like, you don't consider those things? Uh, Like anti-black violence? uh, Like you said, pollution. There's so many reasons why we are ill. So many reasons. So many reasons. And I think if we had a very different healthcare system, all of this, because there's some ridiculous statistics out there, like that 95% of physicians' visits are stress-related, actually. Like the underlying yes. causes stress. And I think if we lived in yes. a society that valued human life, <laughs> which we don't right now, then that would be a huge wake-up call. Like, we would say, like, everyone is... Ma- everybody is manifesting some kind of illness, you know, like we're seeing the manifestation of mental illness in a way that we have, or, you know, I I actually don't like the language of mental illness. I don't use it that often, but things that are associated with mental health, we're seeing so much come up. We're seeing so much depression. We're seeing so much more anxiety. We're seeing so many more, um, uh, diagnoses of bipolar disorders, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, ADHD, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, like the list goes on. And so I I really think that's a wake up call. For me, my diagnosis as, you know, someone with bipolar disorder was a wake up call, not only to my own madness, but to the madness of society. And I realized I'm just reacting to the madness of society. None of these other people are reacting. There is insanity happening around us. Like, exactly. What? You know? Exactly. Uh, you guys can't see what's happening. Literally. You're the only one that's seeing this. What is happening? And so I respect <laughs> those who are called insane in the society so much. I have so much respect for Same. those who care. Because I'm like, Absolutely. you see something that these other people don't see. And your body is, is reacting in a way that is harder for you to ignore and subdue and repress, you know? Yeah, and we have to honor absolutely. that and use it as an opportunity to break through into the new society. So, yeah. Yes. I'm smiling because this is going to be a, a hot, hot episode. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of angry people. <laughs> oh, Let's see what they have to say. Let's see. I don't think angry, but maybe just people who... <laughs> Are coming from a place of just like wow, what what do you mean? Is a, there were a lot of like, controversial, controversial opinions. Tapes. Yeah, I love those. Those are my favorite. What it is. Yeah, I think those are the real conversations that we need to start having. Absolutely, that's why this needed to happen. I think this for for better or for worse, there's been this deluge of like um, mental health care practitioners taking to Instagram and giving advice mm-hmm. and. You know, mental health is the word of the day. Yeah. I want to start making trauma the word of the day. Mm. I think I also I also veer away from using terms like mental illness. <sighs> I talk about trauma. Yes. I talk about structures of oppression. Thank you. You know, yeah. I talk about harm, sources of harm. Yes. That's the type of language we need to start using. So exactly. if it needs to be this it, it coming from a place of maybe anger or fear of or maybe people not understanding why I would rather have that and we can start to have discussions. Absolutely. But I think, I think mental illness for a lot of people, because we didn't ever talk about it before. I think it was an important step. The next step is doing trauma work. <sighs> exactly. I, I think that's, that's such an important step. point that you make because I often will look at things and I'm like, they didn't do enough or this thing didn't. And I'm like, 
they created a stepping stone. They were almost yeah, they created exactly. a stepping stone for us to step on top of that stone yes. and keep building. And that's what yes. we do as humans. Someone's going to look back at all of the work that we've done in our lifetimes and say, thanks for creating that stone. Bloop. And that's what we want. I would be <laughs> deeply honored for Me too. some person to come along one day and use my work as a stepping stone. Oh. I would, I would be so, so happy. Yeah. So incredibly happy. Yeah. Okay, well, do we thank you so much thank you. for holding space with me yeah. and being in conversation with me. And thank you for your words of wisdom. I, there are so many golden nuggets. I really <laughs> hope that the viewers and the listeners can take this conversation and what you've said mm. um, and begin the journey of healing or continue and I hope that they can find community. I hope that they can start to participate in their healing. Absolutely. To participants yeah. in their healing yes. too. <laughs> I think that's another thing I want to just <sighs> end with that a lot of healthcare practitioners, we give our, our wellness to healthcare practitioners and we're supposed to just be separate and listen. Mm. And they will tell us what we need instead of being, you know, participants in our healing. Absolutely. You know, we, I go to my healthcare practitioner and we work through something together because I'm, I'm the one that's experiencing it. Mm. I need to be able to trust you so that I can tell you, these are my symptoms. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's happening. Exactly. This is not working, but this is working. I think that maybe this would work. Have you ever heard of this? Mm. I think that's where we need to take our healthcare. And I do think that you are a healthcare <laughs> an incredibly important one. Mm. And I think that healthcare needs to center more people like you in the decision making um in the process in the definition of what healthcare is mm. so that's my final oh. that's my final <laughs> gift to you thank you thank you, <laughs> thank you so much yeah, thank you and thank you for everyone who listened today um so i'll catch you same time next week <laughs>